Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, everyone. So we made it through Thanksgiving. (laughs) I hope everybody's doing well. I hope you watched how much you ate, took a few walks, and did a few things for your health. Uh, Because remember, gut health equals brain health. And we want to make sure we're doing things to uh, keep ourselves as sharp and happy and fulfilled as we possibly can. And as you all are well aware, because every December I play our Christmas CDs for you on one of the shows, which will happen next week. I want to do it right before the holiday season so that you all don't want to choke me. (laughs) But um, music is one of my favorite things, and I have a friend in studio today. Hi, Sarah. Hello. How are you? Great. Sarah Thompson is with me and one of my favorite people because she works with music therapy with our friends with diagnosis. That's right. And you have some big things going on right now, right? I do, yes. Yeah, and you need a few people to join your research. So let's dive in and talk about this. Great. What is the research? Mm -hmm. And then once you talk about it, I want you to give some information about how people can um, call in or email you, and then we'll continue on with our conversation because I want to make sure everybody has a couple of chances to grab a pen and paper so that they can uh, call you and and maybe join in. This. Yeah. So tell me, what is this research you're doing? Uh, so grab your pen and paper while you're listening <laughs> because I'll give you the phone number. But the research that we're looking at right now has to do with sundowning. And sundowning can happen, it typically happens late afternoon or evening. And people get agitated, you know, and are wandering. And, you know, many of you listeners, and of course, you're very familiar. Right. Um, but many of the listeners are as well. But it's a challenge. And there's it's a challenge that we don't have a, a real solid solution to. You know, there's some different tools. But one of the things that we know is a good tool with dementia is music. Absolutely. And, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm finishing my Ph.D. at the University of Colorado Anschutz campus. And as part of my studies, I've been really delving into music processing with different types of dementia and really ended up focusing on Alzheimer's-type dementia. And the study that I'm doing is uh, looking at using music to reduce sundowning in Alzheimer's disease. So that's the high-level summary. So if you are living at home with someone with Alzheimer's disease, I have a program that's brand new that has not been tested but comes right out of the research. And the way to get involved in this research study is through calling the this number. It's 303 303- Eight one seven zero two three one, and I'll say it one more time: three zero three eight one seven zero two three one. And that's how you get hold of me. Okay. And you can talk; people can talk to me about the research study, and we can kind of go through. But you have to be in Colorado to participate. 
Okay. Uh, in the city wide area or just in Colorado? Just in Colorado because it's done completely remotely, actually. So I can reach anyone in Colorado. So even being in a rural area, we're going to be on Zoom, we're going to be on the phone together, and I've got some tools online. Um, so I'm just curious, if mm -hmm. you could use Zoom, mm -hmm. why couldn't people in the outer area? Or is it just because of your evidence-based study and the criteria that you have to utilize? Well, just for uh, the Human Subjects Committee, I only ask to work with people in the state of Colorado. Okay. So I can see anyone in rural Colorado or, um, you know, really any any part of Colorado, but I just didn't ask for, you know, to clear, to get clearance. It gets tricky with, with human subjects when you start to include multiple states. So. Okay. That's all right. I just knew I would probably get emails about yeah. it, so why not address <laughs> it to begin with? So, you know, I'm a big fan of music therapy. Yep. And... I love what you do. Mm -hmm. I've I've utilized a little bit of it in mm -hmm. my world when I go mm -hmm. into memory cares and I um, am giving classes for families or yep. what have you. I've I've had them uh, put someone's favorite genre of music on headphones and maybe an iPad or their phone or wh however they're accessing it and uh, have them listen to that music for about 20 minutes. And then after we remove those headphones, usually that person – most of the time, not always, but most of the time, they can now converse with you. I had a beautiful story. Um, one of the people, uh, Kath Kathleen, her husband, Richard, hadn't spoken a word in four years, and you'll love this. He took the headphones off, and I said, do you know who this lady is? is that's sitting next to you and he said it's my beautiful wife Kathleen. Oh. And I said, "You know what? Kathleen really would like it if you could tell her that you love her." And he looked at her and he said, "I love you, baby," and gave her a big kiss <laughs> and I just walked away and let them talk. Yeah. So, you know, I knew she needed to hear that. But you have people actually come out to the University of Colorado Hospital and you do some really special things. Well, we actually – we primarily work in the community, yep, with people. Um, and this – you know, what we're seeing is just there's such a need for reaching people in the community because that's where everyone is, right? Right. And so much of the, the research and the resources has gone to people who are in a facility. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people living at home – who are hungry for information. And actually, that's right. where the majority of people are, is that right? Home. And so that's also where the study came up, is that we're specifically trying to reach people who are living at home um, because they're the that's the majority of people. And that's the folks where we think we can give them tools to make that period of time much better. Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, we know music processing stays intact, but how do we use it? And so that's where I came up with this program through delving through, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of research articles and also using my clinical expertise over the last uh, 19 years. So um, I'm hoping that the goal is really to help people and um, to improve quality of life and, and make things just go smoother and reduce those sundowning symptoms. So we're hopeful about it. Well, you should be because I think it's just a perfect medium mm -hmm. uh, to give relief and joy mm -hmm. to people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just – 90 percent of the people I work with are still at home. 
Yep. And probably most of my listeners mm-hmm. worldwide. And we I have listeners in all 50 states and 78 countries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the way that music works um, is surprising. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But I wondered if we could take a minute to kind of explain that. So mm-hmm. music's processed differently in the brain um, than languages. Can yep. you explain that? Sure. So uh, a lot of times we think of music being a right-brained activity, and sometimes that's taught, you know, and melody does tend to be a right-brained activity. Melody is, you know, the notes you would hum, you know, um, the tune of a song. That's the melody. That does tend to be in the right hemisphere. But there's other aspects of music that are processed in other areas of the brain, and uh, it's different than language. So language tends to come from the left hemisphere. Mm -hmm. And so what you see with dementia a lot of times, just like your story was a perfect example, is that people struggle with language as -hmm. part of the dementia disease process, but music processing stays intact. Um, And so sometimes you'll see people who can't speak talk or converse very well, but they'll sing a whole song fluently, or even just listening to it will get the words going for them. And what we what we think is happening neurologically is we're kind of using that right hemisphere to come in and access some language that, you know, is, is having trouble getting started from the normal areas of the brain where, where we typically think of language. The other piece that plays into this is that areas of the brain that do musical memory uh, are some of the last to degenerate with dementia. And so they've done some studies looking at that. And so those songs that are highly familiar, and that's why it's it's really important to know what songs are highly familiar because it can't just be any random song, you know. It can't be, you know, I, I'm not going to choose a John Mayer song, you know, that came out last year. We want a song that people have known for 30 years, 40 years, you know. A couple of good examples of that um, that I can think of just so we really bring this home to the listeners. Yep. Uh, many of you might remember that years ago when I was at the Alzheimer's Association with uh, Amelia Schaefer, who was my boss at the time, and Oliver Sacks, uh, mm. we created a video about Henry. And Yes. yes and Henry, uh, he is... Uh, Yvonne uh, from the care community, uh, Cobble Creek, uh, they put his genre of music, which was jazz, mm-hmm. and um, he just loved it. And Henry basically muttered. He stumbled. He had what we tend to call word salad. Yep. Uh, he would look straight down and not really talk. And once they put that music on and it was Christmas time. He then just kicked into a Christmas song. Yep, um, that he remembered by Cab Calloway. Right, which was really beautiful, and that video went viral. I mean, to this day. Um, and and uh, there was another person that wrote a book called Memories of the Heart, and her oh. dad played in a um, uh, like a oh, what did they call it? Barbershop. Quartet kind of thing, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. And she would take him out of the memory care that he was in to perform in front of hundreds of people, and he would jump right in and yep. sing. But when it came to having a conversation with anybody that he had worked with or any, anybody he had sung with, 
could not speak a word. Yeah. So it's amazing to me that um, music hangs around so long. My mom hadn't spoken a word in four years, mm. and on her deathbed, literally on the day she, a couple of days before she died. Um, I was singing Anne Murray songs to her and, oh. and Karen Carpenter oh, and yeah. music that she just loved. And uh-huh. she sang along with me yep. with her eyes closed. Yep. Unbelievable. It's so, so awesome. And so kind of what's built into this program and, and part of why I'm excited about it is because I built in some flexibility based on people's history. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, there's there's a section of this caregiver training program that's like that's for – you know, how do you work with someone or, or how do you set someone up for success who's got a long history of, of you playing a musical instrument, like you were just saying? There's, I've got some tips for that. If they never played an instrument and they just enjoy music listening, I've got tips for that. And so there's parts of this caregiver training program, and it's called Music Intact mm-hmm. is the name of the program because okay. music stays intact. Um there's, there are parts of this that are a little bit like choose your own adventure where it's, you know, choose what which one of these feels right for you. Because I see that and you see it, too, is that, you know, people's history is so important in taking that into account when you're giving them recommendations. So um, with the program, you know, people get access to the content. They get individual consultation with me as well to help problem solve because things don't always, you know, go perfectly. And then um, we get together as a group, you know, once in a while and just talk through some problem solving things. So my hope is that that combo really sets people up for success and gives them knowledge they can carry on. You know, they're going to, the studies short term, you can't take away knowledge. So I think it's cool that, you know, we're trying to teach people and give them skills that they can carry on beyond this. That's perfect. So when you said that you are working with people in the community, mm-hmm. you're you're not going to their homes or anything, are you? Sometimes we go to homes. Okay. We go to facilities as well. And the facilities, a lot of times what we're doing is we'll do – some groups for a short period of time, but we're often going to see people in their rooms who aren't getting out, okay. you know, um, and facilities are, are starting to recognize that we've got the skills to get people engaged in a meaningful way who don't go out to normal activities, you mm-hmm. know, um, because it might be too overwhelming, especially if they're at advanced stages of dementia. Why did you pick the sundowning time? I mean, to me, that's perfect because that's when people have the most problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but was there a specific reason or or did you just seem to visit enough patients or see enough people? What made you choose that time frame? Well, you know, the behaviors are one of the biggest reasons people choose to go into a facility is, you know, having challenging behaviors. And in talking with Dr. Holden at the University of Colorado Memory Clinic, she kind of brought home, because she sees a higher volume of individuals than I do, she really highlighted that there aren't pills that fix sundowning. Now, there's some drugs that can help with certain symptoms for certain periods of time, but sometimes none of them work for people. <laughs> right. So we don't really have a good solution. So she really encouraged me to continue to pursue this. And so it was a combination of what I had already seen and also talking to her because they see hundreds and hundreds of people in their clinic and just kind of taking in, you know, what is troubling people the most. Okay. So... 
as you're doing this research, I'm just trying to kind of piece it apart so everybody understands. Sure. Um, so are you basically going to look at what symptoms people have as the day goes on? Uh, we have a lot of problems with time change. Yes. Oh, I wish we would just stop that. I, I mean, just for people with Alzheimer's alone, I wish we would just stop that. But caregivers need to know what to do. Exactly. So is your research going to help to train yes. my caregiver nation Yep. Um, how to utilize music at the right time of day or when those symptoms, maybe before the symptoms crop up? Yep. So most of the program, the program sort of mirrors or, or is in parallel, I guess, to the recommendations from the Alzheimer's Association. You know, so, so most of... The interventions in the Music Intact program are preventative. Here are things to do to try and prevent sundowning from happening. And it's including some things into the routine. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it's providing the education of, you know, uh, using videos. I, I've made videos for the caregivers to watch, and I give them the exact content that's in the video if they prefer to read it. But it's, here's why, we're do, here's why we think this is going to work, a brief summary from high level from the research. And then it's, how do you use this? It's step-by-step instructions mm -hmm. on what to do. Uh, and there's different interventions focused um, based on the research. For example, walking mm -hmm. and exercise. There's some research that shows that helps with, you know, sundowning. Right. But you pairing that with music, and then I talk about how what music do you use for walking, or how do you use that at motivationally? What's the good? I even give people sample playlists and things. So it's meant to be very, very hands-on. To where I'm giving you the exact tools to use, but then I also have that consultation. If you say, you know, Sarah. This doesn't work. My spouse likes, you know, this other thing. I'll help you work through that, you know. But it's giving, really trying to empower caregivers with the knowledge they need to apply it and then giving them sample sample things that they can use also. I think that's beautiful because that's what I try to do with my education piece and with my show and everything else is mm -hmm. let's try to make sure that we're preventing a symptom from happening. Yes. And a lot of times I've told my caregiver nation that they are basically the the gatekeepers of the symptoms. Yep. And by that I mean the way they walk into a room, whether mm -hmm. or not they are smiling. Um are they anxious? They're bringing that anxiety to that person. Um, I ask them to use music throughout the day when somebody gets up in the morning, for example, to set them on the right track, right? Yep. yep. And I always try to put that onus back on the caregiver because the person with the diagnosis may not be able to sequence what they need to do to get this done, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So as an example to that, um, I want to see how maybe you would work with me if I had this problem, just okay. as an example. So I like all kinds of music, right? I mean, yep. I just really do. There are times when I will listen to just smooth jazz, uh -huh. like to clear my head at the end of a day. Yep. I don't want to hear lyrics, yep. blah, blah, blah. Yep. So that's my afternoon thing. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. My drive home from my last last in-home assessment or whatever it was I did right. that day. At night, I'm a big fan of 
the movie Somewhere in Time mm. soundtrack. Okay. Uh, it's a variation on a theme of Rachmaninoff by a oh. person named John Barry. It's okay. a symphony. Okay. And I listen to that when I go to bed. Oh. And it's it's some of the most beautiful music I've ever listened to. Mm-hmm. So if I'm upset mm-hmm. or if I've had a particularly stressful day, mm-hmm. I will put that on even if I'm in the bathtub. Yep. Or the shower or something, right? Um but in the morning, I might like Motown. Exactly. I want. I I might want uh, Mary J. Blige. I want to bounce around, you know. Uh, but in the afternoon, I might want um, folk kind of music or something like that. In the middle of the day, I might want Santana. Exactly. So, do you get people that have those varying? I mean, I'm really pretty systematic yep. about kind of the type of music I listen to at certain times of the day. Some, I, sometimes I need something that I can just sing along and get my mind off. Other times I want just music, you know, and usually later in the afternoon. Yeah. I just want just music. Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily want Dobie Gray. Exactly. You know, yeah. sing and drift away, <laughs> right, right? Right. So do ha, have you considered that? Yes, absolutely. So, for example, um, you know, a lot of the education is around here's the qualities of the music we're looking for. Mm-hmm. So as mu- it's sort of translating how a music therapist thinks about it into language that's really helpful for caregivers. So, you know, you're right on and you're not alone. A lot of people think that way, but most people aren't as systematic. It's trying to get people to be more systematic. So being thoughtful about bedtime, because sleep is a big issue with sundowning, right? So I bring in the research. Here's what the research says about what music tends to be relaxing. But what's most important is that the person finds it relaxing. So, you know, there is that piece that works so well for you might not work for someone else, right? Right. And so it's really teaching that to people and giving them sort of a checklist of here's here's how to choose that music before bed. And I love that you're systematic and you do it always at those kind of relaxing times because that's a big key for people too is let's, you know, use it consistently at bedtime. There's actually, I, I really didn't know, to be honest, um, before I did this research, there's a ton of research out there about music and sleep. Really? Yes. And so that's one of the interventions in this program is how do you encourage sleep using music? I didn't know that was, you know, that that was out there. It's not consistently used in dementia, but there's a lot out there that I wasn't aware of because that's not something we're often called in to consult about. So um, really trying, again, using the research, but then, you know, giving really practical tips and really making sure that it works for that specific person. Well, and, you know, I feel free to disagree with this. Okay. okay? <laughs> but um, when I'm talking to families, I find that sundowning occurs most often, not just because the clouds get gray or it gets dark earlier or whatever it is, but they have not had – it goes back to what you said a minute ago – that systematic routine, yep. right? 
And I find that people that I make calendars for, Mm -hmm. so when I do an in-home assessment, I make a calendar with the person with the diagnosis of the things they like to do. They can have their time where they watch their game show. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they get up and do cornhole or something uh, with laundry baskets and whatever they have to throw or – there's bowling. You can get bowling pins at Dollar Tree or whatever. Um, listening to a podcast. Yep. Um, going, take the dog for a walk. But it doesn't have to be the same thing every day, but it has to be at the same time every day as yep. much as they possibly can. Yep. Um, it would be kind of cool if they could implement music a couple of times a day. Exactly. Right? And I mean— I- yeah. I even, as part of the program, I give suggestions about what time of day to do these things. And it's, you know, I love, I totally agree with you about the scheduling and I totally agree with you about short periods of time, 20 minutes, you know, because that's one of the mistakes people make is, oh, they, I've heard Mozart's good, so I'm going to play it for five hours. Well, that can actually cause agitation. Oh, jeez, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it was interesting actually reading through the research this past year. There were studies where they went on to a unit and they played, you know, something for five hours and they said, oh, my gosh, all these people are agitated. And I'm like, well, you just play the same music for five hours. And it probably, you know, is way too long, too overstimulating. We don't know if they liked it or, you know, just all these problems with it. And so the Music Intact program really teaches caregivers how to be systematic. And I love that you're you're reinforcing that. I think that this program could slide right into what you're doing with here's your little put 20 minutes here, put 20 minutes there, you know, go for a walk and listen, you know, while you're walking your dog, listen to music and, you know, try and step it up a little or whatever, that it, it's meant to really integrate into people's lives. Um, you know, it takes a, a bit of thoughtfulness at first, but the goal is that it's not so work intensive to keep up, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, the easier we can make it, certainly mm-hmm. the better. It could be part of the process mm-hmm. just to sit down and really think about the type of music that person likes. Mm-hmm. One of the problems that I see when I'm in a nursing home mm-hmm. uh, We like to call them care communities now. Uh, They play older music. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was in one the other day where the medium age was about 69. Usually people are 82 or older, right? Yep. What music do people in their 60s listen to? We listen to the Eagles. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We listen to Steve Miller. I was in a room uh, not too long ago, and it was Pink Floyd CDs. Right. <laughs> hey, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation because it's one of my favorite things in the world to talk about. So I'm with Sarah Thompson, and when we come back, have your pad and paper ready. I'll have her right at the opening after the commercial. Um, give the number and how you can get involved in this research. We'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, 
we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, we're back with Sarah Thompson from the University of Colorado Hospital. And Sarah... I'm just curious um, why you made music your thing, mm. but before you do that, give the number out again. Okay, great. So if you're interested in participating in a study about how we can mu- use music to reduce sundowning behaviors in Alzheimer's disease, and you're living at home in Colorado, the number to call is 303 817 0231. And one more time, it's 303-817-0231. I hope people jump on this. Yes. So why did you get interested in this particular line of work? In music. Yes. So I have a musical family. My father's family is all musical. My grandparents met playing music. My dad and his siblings grew up playing music, multiple instruments. And so it was uh, sort of passed down. And I was considering different professions, but I really, really enjoy being able to help someone and being able to see that, see the results right there. And so that's what led me to this. Well, I think it's wonderful because I think music is just, it has the strongest impact mm-hmm. of anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I very seldom find people that don't like music. I had one client with Parkinson's who said he never listens to music. I mean, I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> Like, how is that possible? How can somebody, <laughs> with you and I, we live and breathe music, right, right? Right, And a couple of times a year we were talking about before we came on the on the air that um, I throw a party where my husband and I play oh. music in our backyard in the summer every August. We've done it for years, and we invite about 75 of our friends oh. and just do a, a concert for them. And we use music from all genres, yep. you know, I mean, and years past to, up to Bruno Mars. We yep. did a Bruno Mars song. Uh, and uh, our Christmas party is the same way. We uh, do five, six songs and everybody sings along with us and then we go back to having the party. So much fun. Yes. Sundowning, not so much fun. No. <laughs> so um, as you 
were granted the opportunity to do this research, you've had a little bit of trouble finding people to participate. Yep. And that's ridiculous. So just so you know, people out there, I've invited Sarah to two of my support groups. And uh, we'll, I think I'll, what we'll do is we'll send out an email to 200 plus people yeah. that are on my mailing list yep. that um, when we get done today, I'll have you write something up for me. Okay. Sounds good. And if you can get it to me by Friday, I'll send it out. Okay. Uh, because, uh, sorry to put you on the spot, but um, if we can get this out, mm-hmm. I think that you can get all the people that you need. How many people do you want in your study? Uh, our total number, we're going to do two groups of 10. So we're just doing 20 ah, people. We can get you that. Yeah. Okay. So the, this is just a first dip in our toe in to see what it, how do people experience this program? Is it helpful to them? Um, and actually, the way that it's designed is people give us feedback, and I'm going to be making changes directly in response to people's feedback because I don't care if you have the best intervention in the world. If people aren't going to use it, it's not going to work. Right. So the whole goal of this is to see, is this user-friendly? Is this, you know, something you can use in your daily life? And that's what we're aiming for this first study. This is not a huge, you know, randomized controlled trial or anything like that. It's just really to see what are caregivers' perceptions about the program. Well, that's beautiful because that way you can customize it to a degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really have to customize the music, Yep. but not necessarily the process. Right. Right? Right. So the process could be more systemic, mm-hmm. and then the music is based on that person. And I just want to say again, um, as we were talking in the first part of the show, that it's super important to pick music that that person likes. Exactly. You know, uh, I joked one time that uh, if I'm listening to a song and I'll put it on replay just because I didn't feel like I gave it the time I needed because I wanted to sing along with it, you know? (laughs) Yes. I do that all the time. Yeah. So maybe it's not even a bad idea. If I get a song I really like, I'll play it again. Absolutely. You know, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe you play a song once and that person's kind of catching on to it. I'm just Mm -hmm. thinking out loud here, okay? But they're kind of catching on to it. And then it goes to a different song. And maybe they need that first song again so that they can try to sing with it because they were trying to find it the first time. Yep. And then all that uh, muscle memory and thought memory kicks in and they could sing it again, but the song's over. Yeah. Just a thought. Exactly. So part of, for there is a portion in there for, uh, in the Music Intact program that we're studying for people who like to sing to music, but I'm giving recommendations about actually the tempo Because so many times the song goes too fast for people. Right. And so, you know, you can see them trying to kind of catch up. And so um, that's where really, again, this program is trying to to teach caregivers to think systematically about the qualities of the music. How fast is it going? You know, does it have longer flowing phrases that are easier to jump in on than somebody who's going, you know, that's hard. It it was hard to get when you were, you know, had all your faculties about you. And now, you know, as the disease process has taken over, that's 
going to be too frustrating. So trying to think about those different qualities of music and, like I said, kind of going through a checklist. Okay, it's got this. It's got this. And giving suggestions to people to to make sure that we can set the person with Alzheimer's up for success. That's kind of a lot of work. It is. But it's a labor of love. It is. And it's really taking – I think that people have already done the work more than they realize Mm -hmm. because – It's sort of if you think of the music that someone likes as one long playlist, what we're really doing is kind of segmenting it. Right. And saying, okay, these two or three songs are best for singing Mm -hmm. because they go slower. They've got these phrases. These songs are really fast tempo. Maybe we should put these on while we're walking. You know, it's just thinking about how do we take what we already know and just kind of break it up a little. So I don't think... Most people will be starting from scratch and having to come up with it. I think they already know it, and we're just going to help segment. But, again, that's the purpose of the study is for me to learn because the caregivers are the experts here. Well, and sometimes the caregivers worry, well, is this going to be a lot of work for me? Yes. So, you know, I'm always trying to tell people, see what that person can still do. Mm -hmm. That goes against our grain. It's like trying to brush your hair backwards, right? <laughs> yeah. It goes against our grain because mainly families can only see what a person has lost. Yeah. And what this gives you is a chance to see your person again. Exactly. Because for some reason, when they have music that they can sing to that they like, they can actually talk clearer to you. Mm-hmm. Their brain seems to focus better. Their language is improved. I mean, there's just so much. And I really hope that you're successful with this because if you can get some evidence-based data, mm-hmm. my goodness, how far could you take this? Yeah, and it's, you know, some little tweaks like you were saying earlier about um, you know, someone listening to music and then talking to their spouse right afterwards. You know, can we in a systematic way say to caregivers if you know you're going to a social situation, do that before you go. Right. To make the person <gasps> more successful. Oh, I love or that. Or if they really want to talk to their adult kids on the phone, do that beforehand. You know, it's just – it's little tweaks, I think. I really – Like I said, I don't think that it's really going to be that much work. I think we just have to think about things a little bit differently. And that's why I'm there to also give the individual guidance is, you know, to make sure people can be successful. So you've given me a thought. Okay. And trust me, I know you're busy. (laughs) I know you're busy. But I give classes for the Mm. University of Colorado Hospital. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I've been doing it. I'm getting into my fifth year now, right? I would love to have you... Uh, on the December class, if Mm. we could do it. It's December 7th. If you can't, we'll shoot for January. Okay. But what I'm thinking is that uh, I should have you talk to the people on that call. Since you need people now to join this study, it would probably be a good idea for you to be on that December 7th class because this is a Every group I'm giving you is a whole different group of people. That's awesome. If by then you have your 10 people, we won't worry about it because we're going to send an email out and we're going to do whatever we need to do. Right. But it would be really awesome if we could get you the people and even try to get it, you know, get people thinking about it. Because what I try to do on those UCH 
classes is to give people new ways of thinking about working with their loved one. And for the most part, they're like incredibly frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. So you're really trying to help not just the person with the diagnosis, but if the caregiver can get a benefit out of this because they get to talk to their person, they get to see that joy again, they actually get to try some communication piece that is effective, Right. then it's a game changer. That, and that's what this first study is completely aimed at caregivers. You know, we're giving, sorry, individuals with diagnosis of Alzheimer's, but we're actually not giving them a ton of attention this first time. It's really about the caregivers because this process is so hard on caregivers. And like I said, if caregivers aren't going to use this, then there's no point in, you know, continuing to, to work on something that's just going to be too difficult. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't think it's going to be difficult. I've made it as easy as I possibly can. But this is caregivers get all the attention. They get support. They get one-on-one. They get, you know, instruction that they can take with them, practical tools. And, yeah, it's completely aimed at caregivers. Well, it's a game, It's aimed at caregivers, but um, everybody reaps the benefits. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing how everybody reaps the benefits. And as some of you are listening and thinking, well, how in the world would I do this? So I'm going to give you an example of one of the things that I do uh, on a regular basis. <laughs> is I go on YouTube yep. and I make a playlist. Yep. Now, my house is a smart house. Oh. So I have I use Google. I use the Google mm. system. Some uh-huh. people use Siri, some people use Alexa. Yep. So yes, my caregiver nation, when I'm done answering all your emails and your calls, I go into my bathroom um and I say, "Hey Google, well, I got to be careful my phone. Oh, I knew it. Uh uh, my phone starts to want to answer me here, and it's going to talk to us in just a second. Uh, but I ask that that person yes. to uh, play my playlist. Yep. So I have them sorted out. Yep. You know, I've got my party playlist. I've got my regular playlist. I've got my jazz playlist. I've got I've got this, that, and everything else. And it's so easy to do. All you have to do is hit a – there's a library down in the corner. Yep. And the library will give you the option to make a playlist. And when you pick a song, if you like a song, there's three dots that are over to the right side of the arrow button or the pause button to play the song. And you can hit that and it will ask if you want to add it to a playlist. And you say yes, and then your playlist will come up and it will tell you uh, the different ones that you have, or you can create a new playlist. It's so easy, it's ridiculous. So when I post this show, I will give some still shots of how to make a playlist on your phone because everybody's using their phone. Okay, and we can give people kind of that. A little exactly. bit of help if, if you want. It's beautiful. And that's exactly why we, we worked in the individual consultation because everyone uses a little bit different system. Mm-hmm. And so I want to use whatever people are familiar with. You know, if they're using Siri, we're going to use that. If they're using, you know, the other thing, which I don't want to say to get yeah. your phone going. <laughs> it starts with a G. Uh, but whatever system or if they use YouTube or whatever, 
we want to use whatever's familiar to them, and I can help them, just like you just did a beautiful job of, you know, we want to use whatever you're already doing and just make some minor tweaks. So what do you do in your regular day-to-day? How do you work with music therapy outside of your research? Mm-hmm. So for the most part, my organization, we're out in the community, and um, we go to facilities. We do um, groups at different memory care facilities. We see individuals there. We go in and visit people in their homes. We have some people that come to us in our office. Um, but we just do a mix of things and try and um, work and problem solve through some different things. For the most part, I will say there's more um, requests and need than there are us. Mm, you know, right. so we don't get as much time with people as we would like. And that's, again, it's something else that played into this is we can't rely on a music therapist coming out all the time. We need to train the people that are with the person all the time because that's what's really going to make the change. It is. And I and I really hope that people are not fearful of this. I hope that this is something that is fun for you. I mean, my goodness, we're at Christmas time and, you know, Cozy 101 here in Denver is playing Christmas music yeah. like crazy. That isn't even a, a far stretch for anybody just to play some Christmas music yep. for someone that just enjoys that. Oh, for sure. And those are songs. From way back when, right? And as that person is listening to the music, um, I'll get the name of the book for you. I'll also add that to uh, what I write on the uh, podcast uh, information. But there's a book that I got about how songs were created. Oh. So if the caregiver is waiting those 20 minutes and they're a little anxious, one thing they could do is sit and listen, look at um, how those songs were created. Oh, that's a great idea. You know, yeah. if, it's, if it's Christmas time, because that's kind of fun, I think. Yeah. But um, you can also go on YouTube and look at um, do- sometimes musicians will talk about what thoughts they had while they were making the song. So say, for example, somebody's uh, genre of music is Joni Mitchell. Yep. And you could go on and read about Joni Mitchell and what she was thinking when she wrote, um, you know, the parking lot song. Yep. You know, those yeah. kinds of things. So there's a lot of things that you could add to this process, I think, Absolutely. that could make it fun for the caregiver. So you're not only trying to figure out what kind of music that person likes, and you know a good time to ask them, I would think, is after they've been listening to music. Exactly. What are some of your other favorite songs? They might just start singing something. Ooh, write that down. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it should, be, it should be really fun for the caregiver. And I, you know, I, what my hope is, is that we're going to teach caregivers and give them, like I said, these few tools, little tweaks, little things they can do and give them really specific instructions so they feel empowered. Mm-hmm. Because that sense of empowerment and self-efficacy that I know how to address the situation, mm-hmm. that is so important in how we feel health-wise as humans. You know, if we feel we can make a change, if we feel I can access tools, I can, I can you know, influence a situation – that's really, you know, what makes us feel better. And so that's what this study is aimed at. So I just want to ask you one more time to explain a little bit more. 
people always ask, why is a person lucid one minute and then maybe the next minute seeming very confused? Mm -hmm. And yet music has the ability to bring people back to us. Yeah. It's so true. What is that in the brain yeah. that makes that happen? Because yeah. I'm going to be one of those people, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. And if I ever have to go to a care community, yep. I don't want to hear music from 1940s and 50s that they are playing currently when there are many more younger onset people in care communities. They have not adjusted the playlist. I know. and It's we, bad. I have these conversations with um, activity directors a lot because some sometimes people are kind of stuck in that notion that it's got to be 1920s through 1950s and I'm going, well... <laughs> We've got, we've got, you know, so trying to, trying to kind of get people to think out, you know, a little differently about that. Right. But, you know, what the scientific background is that they've done studies on different aspects of music, melody, rhythm, lyrics, um, emotional content of music. And in Alzheimer's disease specifically, those things all stay intact. So those, and those are all separate studies. And so I, I, went through and put together, you know, and segmented. Um, and that sort of forms the scientific f foundation for all the things I'm asking caregivers to do. And I'm telling them, you know, this is why you're doing it. This is why we think this is going to work is because the research shows that this is still intact for that person. Mm -hmm. um, so it's music. This is why music is, is so exciting for neurologists and the neuroscience community is because it's so robust and it's really then for those of us that are clinicians and doing, you know, direct work with people and consulting, it's really then how do we use that and apply it in a day-to-day -day fashion that actually works. It's amazing that there aren't more people like you. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are. Uh, I hope there are. Mm -hmm. I hope all across the country at academic hospitals, mm -hmm. they're looking at this in a different light mm -hmm. and really exploring, like you are, how can we make these changes? Mm -hmm. How can we bring something that somebody's always used as joy? Because music is our deepest feel feelings yep. set to rhythm Yep, for the most part. Yeah. Right? It's true. I mean, there's a song... For every emotion we have. Yep. There's a there's a heartache song. There's a be happy song. Um, musicians themselves typically write about their lives, but they try to use content that means something to people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they're, they're trying to say something that they think is a universal message. Yep. So that's really what it is. It's the story of our lives set to... Set to music. Melody. Yep. Yeah, and melody, music. And um, it's been the most effective piece I think I've ever seen. Yeah. So I love that you're doing this. Yeah. And I'm going to get you your 10 people. Okay, good. And more, I hope. <laughs> 20, right? Yeah, 20. 20 people. We need 20. Um, so uh, after you have received your res results, yes. you've had a chance to look them over. Yeah. Um, I want you to come back on okay, and share what you found. Okay. Because it's going to be a work in progress, I'm going to guess. Yep. Uh, but if I know anything at all about you, you're going to just make this better 
yep. and better and better. Yep. And what do you plan to do once you do get your PhD? Uh, still up in the air. <laughs> still up in the air. Um, just just hoping that I can get this program out to help more people. Um, we're really just just wanting to figure out ways that we can bring this out to more caregivers. I, I want to see, you know, I have ideas about larger research studies and things like that, but we just have to see what the results of this one is first and okay. make, make sure that I just want to make sure it's going to help people and that it's going to be useful to caregivers. And then we'll take it from there and make the tweaks we want and take it from there. Oh, I have no doubt. (laughs) I have no doubt. Um, And I have, as we've been talking, I can think of several people I want to connect you with right away. Okay. So I'm really glad we took the time to do this. I'm sorry. You brought this to me about a month ago. Yep. And we're finally uh, getting here. We're both very busy people. This is how it goes. But once you're on my radar screen, I'm all over it. So so anyway, one more time, give the information about how people need to get a hold of you. And then also, uh, not just the phone number, but what they can expect when they talk to you on the phone. Okay. So if you're interested in being part of this research study on sundowning and Alzheimer's disease and you're living at home with someone with Alzheimer's in Colorado, you can call me, Sarah Thompson, at 303-817-0231. Again, that's 303-817-0231. And when you call, I will kind of go through, chat with you a little bit, and, um, you know, so happy to meet new people. I love that. And then kind of go through a checklist that I need to make sure, you know, we're meeting the criteria. That's how research works, right? You got to have certain criteria. And it's it's not challenging at all. It's just a handful of questions that I'll just make sure we, we check the boxes. And then we figure out and make sure that, you know, you can be uh, join us for the participate in the research. And then we go from there. Okay. Well, that sounds wonderful. So, folks, jump on this. This is great. If I had sundowning, I'd do it in a New York minute. (laughs) (laughs) And, again, when I post this show, I will make sure to add how to uh, create a YouTube playlist. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, really, uh, let's move you along. And then, Sarah, we're going to have you back on the show to let us know how this went. Sounds great. How long will the research last? So I should have results by next summer. Okay. So it'll take a bit of time. You know, research is slow. <laughs> so to and to make sure we get, you know, a good interpretation of the results. So I would say next summer sometime. Okay. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hope you got the number down. We'll find out how this is working out for Sarah. And if you're interested and you live in the state of Colorado, you know the number. If for some reason you have any problems, just email me. Go on my website, summitresiliencetraining.com. You can send me an email, and I'll make sure to connect you with Sarah. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So appreciate it. And happy holidays, everyone. I'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. 
Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.